Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on the front porch. Today I'm going to talk to Will Wright, the CEO of Peerless Events and Tents. Uh, since this episode is coming out just before the ARA show, uh, please check out our blog at pointofrunner.com slash blog. Uh, it'll be the most recent one. It's talking about why you should visit booth 2607 at the ARA show. has a bunch of stuff. It tells you all about our show specials, about the things we're giving away, about how you can interact with us before and after the show. It's going to be pretty cool. You should also check out the podcast that basically goes over the whole thing with a lot of the people that are involved in setting up the booth and everything we're doing at the show. Anyway, this isn't about us. This is about Will. So Will and I talked a lot about how and why he got into the rental business and what he loves about it. I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him. I did have some internet issues on my end during this uh, interview, so please forgive us and the occasional audio issue. Again, thank you for being a part of this podcast and for listening to us. Let's go ahead and hear from Will. Welcome to The Front Porch with Brian Beaudry. Let's just start off with who are you, where are you from, and in your opinion, who is the greatest movie superhero and why? Okay. Uh, so my name is Will Wright. Uh, I am from Austin, Texas. Uh, and in my opinion, the greatest movie superhero, I got to refer back to the eight-year-old self where I wore, I think between the ages of six and eight, I dressed like this character every single day, uh, which is Batman. Uh, Batman is the greatest movie superhero okay. because uh, he was just a normal guy with money and he worked out a lot. And uh, uh, so I realized early in life, man, if I can just make money and uh, just stay active, maybe I can be a superhero too. Okay, so your goal is to be basically, Batman. yeah, that's a long term vision. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Now, one of my previous guests, James Auerbach, told me that you are a great guy and a good speaker. So I just want to add a little pressure on your shoulders before we start this thing uh, with the next round of questions. I'm going to have to have a word with James okay. on that. I, uh, I, I'm calling into question his judgment, but uh, hopefully all goes well. Okay. Well, hopefully you live up to uh, his claims. Okay. Okay. So when you were like eight to 10 years old, it sounds like you wanted to become Batman, but were there any other goals that you had that you, you just wanted to be this when you grew up? Yeah, I mean, you know, realistically, once I started having, and I don't remember what age it was, when I started having real, you know, goals that I wanted, you know, it wasn't be an astronaut, but like what's actually achievable. Uh, I was that very rare, uh, probably young teenage uh, person who wanted to be an investment banker. I, it, it's odd, um, but I saw the movie Wall Street at an early age. I thought it was awesome. I loved everything about that, just that culture. And I was very drawn to it. I grew up in Indiana, uh, a smaller town of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And there was nothing like that. The successful people in Fort Wayne were doctors and lawyers. Uh, and I was bored by those things. So, um, you know, the finance world, Wall Street, that, that very, uh, very much interested me. So, yeah, basically at an early age, you knew you were going to be leaving Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne was not the, uh, the Wall Street center of the financial world or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I would say that was actually, as I look back, that was a motivating factor for me early on was to just hustle to get out of Fort Wayne, um, which meant, you know, finding independent success you know, on my own elsewhere uh, and being able to pave that, that path. I was, you know, very fortunate. I, and I love Fort Wayne, no knock on Fort Wayne. 
Uh, it was a great place yeah. to grow up, but uh, I've led a career since then uh, out of the Midwest, which I've been very happy with. Cool. Okay, so I was considering a business minor in college. I hit my first accounting class, and despite having been pretty good as, at math as a kid, I decided, eh, hopefully I don't need to know anything about money later on in life. You have had a different experience there. So how did you decide that you wanted to continue into finance? Obviously, it's easy to see a movie and be inspired, but it's hard to hold on to that motivation. So how did you just kind of react to getting into finance? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, obviously, you know, I wanted to go out and be an investment banker. Didn't last long, as you've noted on the resume. I think I did it for about two and a half years. I worked in finance for six years um, and it burns you out. Uh, ultimately, I ended up realizing, I think throughout my career, my decisions have been made um, not based on the money, but based on the challenge and based on you know what uh, knowledge I could amass that could build, I could build my career on. So uh, you know, every decision I made in my career was pivoting to you know where's the next challenge? What's something that can help distinguish me uh, career-wise or as an individual? You know, I I would identify still identify as a finance person, but I got out of finance back in 2018 when I bought Peerless. Okay, so I was looking through your LinkedIn. This is how I know everything about you because we we've never met before. So I just right. want to have that up front. Yeah. This is why some of the questions are going to be a little awkward. I saw on your LinkedIn for a while that you worked recapping family businesses. Now, I grew up in like sports journalism, so a recap is just like <laughs> telling what happened in a game. I feel like that's not what's happening there when you're talking about recapping family businesses. So as yeah, quickly as you can explain it, what does that mean in finance? There's there's just like unnecessary jargon that makes it way more complicated than it needs to be between like recapping, merger, acquisition. Uh, you know, what does that really mean? Um, generally speaking, in my, in my experience, 99% of the transactions that take place are recaps, which is basically, it's the capital structure of the business. The capital structure gets recapitalized. So it might be a controlling investor wants to come in and put money into the business and they might do it with equity and with debt. And then the previous owners of the business might roll some equity and pull a bunch of equity out and get a cash out. Uh, or they might hold a seller note, some form of debt uh, that you know, would continue in the business. So a recap is basically just changing the capital structure. And typically with the deals that I did, uh, it was changing the control of the business. Owners want to move out. This is a good way for them to realize liquidity, but also they can fund some of the, you know, some of the value in rolling ownership. And typically in all the deals I've ever done, uh, the owners ended up making as much or more at that second bite at the apple. You know, once they, they move on, but still own a little, a little ownership in that business, it sells three or five years down the road. It's a good outcome for everyone. Okay. Is that something that you got into just because it was part of the process in finance? Or was that one of those challenges that you mentioned that you specifically wanted to take on? Um, you know, at that point in my life, that was when I, I moved from investment banking into private equity. You know, I think at that point in time in the finance world, if you spent a few years in investment banking, that was the next horizon. Uh, you know, when I started in investment banking, that's basically called sell side service. You're, you're providing a service just like you would be if you're a real estate agent, you know, helping sell homes or you're an insurance broker, you know, helping, uh, you know, your clients find insurance. Well, I wanted to move to the buy side 
which you know would then be like if you're in real estate, you're buying real estate. Um, you know, with what I did, it was the buy side for private equity, where we were buying um, family-owned businesses uh, of a certain size range and you know, certain uh, industry, uh, and then we would come in, put an owner or put a um, CEO executive in place, put a board around it, and really help to professionalize the business. So it was just a new challenge for me. I got to sit in on on board meetings and be a part of important strategic decisions that I never got to be a part of. Uh, in investment banking. So it, it was an exciting few years of, of my career. And, and I did that uh, probably two and a half years before I went to business school. Yeah, it sounds like that's, it's its own business school in a little way. I mean, you're seeing all these, you're helping create all these new companies or helping them get towards the next level. You're, you're, you're seeing strategy decisions play out firsthand. Um, yeah. But what I realized is that I was, I was sitting on the sidelines just telling operating teams what to do. Uh, I wasn't actually in the weeds, you know, going through those tough rollouts and making those tough uh, you know, judgment calls. And so that's what moved me into the next stage of my career, which was, you know, actually get in there and, and, and practice it. Uh, uh, you know, I spent too much time on the sidelines thinking it would be easy. And man, I want to try that out. Well, I learned that running a business is much, much more difficult. Um, so, you know, that's been kind of the latest or the, you know, the reason for the pivot. Okay, so before we get into this pivot, yeah. uh, it looks like in 2014, you decided it was time for you to take things to the next level and you went to get your B MBA. I know how to talk. Um, what makes you leave what I assume is a pretty comfortable job? Is it just that wanting to get in the ring, basically? Yeah, I think it was, um, uh, it was that. Um, I, I had identified that I wanted to try going out and buying my own business. Um, and I wanted to challenge myself from a career standpoint with getting into operations. Um, but to do that, I knew that I needed to go get an MBA uh, to start my own fund, to raise capital. That was just a criteria that a number of the investors I had met along the way were requiring. So it was a step in my career that I, I, I kind of, one way or another, had to go through. That makes sense. Okay, so you founded your own group of private investors to create Dunmore Capital Group. So I have a few questions about this. First of all, of all the names you could pick, why Dunmore? It doesn't sound like particularly cool, but was there a particular reason for it? No, it doesn't. I had a number of friends I feel like give me crap for you know Dunmore, do less. I don't know, lots of lots of uh, uh, phrases like that. Um, Dunmore is actually a lake in Vermont that's just very close to my family. We have an old family cabin that's been in the family for I don't know, 125 years. Uh, and that would be the only summer vacation I would ever get uh, growing up was we'd go up and spend two weeks in this little non-air conditioned, uh, very bleak uh, living situation that we just fell in love with. I loved growing up. It's very much a part of uh, who I am. So that was the inspiration for it. And then as I met with business owners going through trying to buy a business, I would get asked that question. And the response was, this cabin has been in the family for 125 years. It's been preserved and it's been improved with time. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do with a good business uh, is preserve it, uh, grow it, um, help it, you know, get to the next level. See, now that you've put the story behind it, now it's such a good name. I like it so much. <laughs> Thank you. I think so. I feel like if I asked all my friends and just did everything I could to get money from people, I would get maybe a few thousand dollars. So how does one go about getting a bunch of capital partners so that you can actually, you know, acquire 
a business? Well, first of all, Brian, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. If you've got a good deal, there's a lot of money out there. Um, there was three years ago, and there's even more today. Uh, investors want to put money and invest in small business. It's been shown to generate greater returns than middle market and larger uh, investments. So um, I, I basically leaned on my background in private equity. I had met several individuals that were big investors in private businesses and it's something similar to what I did. Um, and I met with them and I raised an initial seed capital uh, and they connected me to some of their um, um, some of their colleagues that were also making similar investments to raise some seed capital that would pay for my uh, diligence fees, expenses, um, everything that I needed to go out and find that deal. Um, and it took me two and a half years. I was living on a very, very meager salary, a very small fraction of what I had been paid when I worked in private equity. Uh, but it was all an investment in you know, my future, hopefully success, uh, and the path that I wanted to take my career. Okay, so what's the pitch that you're giving these people? Hey, I have an MBA. I've been in these investment circles. I know what I'm doing. Money, please. You're right. Um, I would first, uh, you know, the pitch I think is, I would start with maybe not as much on my background as, look, there's a huge generational shift that's about to happen with baby boomers who own businesses and don't have succession plans in place. Um, their sons or daughters don't want any part of the business, or maybe they don't have anyone that they can pass it down to. And maybe it's smaller than what a traditional private equity group would look to acquire. So that's happening right now. It's been happening for the last 10 years. It's going to continue happening for the next 20 years. So I'm going to work my tail off to get you as an invex investor access to that, uh, to that um, uh, investment type. Studies have been shown that that generates a higher return on average uh, than any other investment vehicle out there. And yes, my background is in private equity. I've raised capital. I've closed acquisitions. I've served as a board member and advisor to numerous companies. Um, so you know, you're betting in on me uh, to run this business, but we're going to put a great board in place of industry experts and people that can help guide me through that process. All right. I like it. I want to give you money now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I see you founded Dunmore in 2016 and you acquired Peerless in 2019. I saw in the acquisition release for when you acquired Peerless that you had founded Dunmore Capital Partners in order to acquire a mid-sized business and turn it into a strong industry player. So I just had some questions. What are you doing between 2016 and 2019? Are you acquiring other businesses that you aren't the CEO of? Or were you just looking for the right opportunity that whole time? I was looking for the right opportunity. Um, as crazy as it sounds, it is really hard to buy a business. Um, there's a lot that needs to come together. Um, from a capital standpoint, diligence, um, accounting, legal. Um, and it was two and a half years of my life where I was cold calling and cold emailing business owners. I think I reached out to 20,000 business owners over the course of two years. Um, I talked to probably 500 business owners, um, just quick phone conversations, trying to find the right one. Um, and uh, got very close with several. And I wasn't just in the rental industry space, although the rental industry was very fascinating to me. And I, I did look at a number of those businesses before closing on Peerless. 
but I was all across the board. I mean, I was book, I was interested in a number of different industries, technology, healthcare. Um, but I landed on this one and I just, I couldn't let it look, couldn't let it go. So it took us 11 months from signing our LOI to closing, to get the deal done, which was a grueling 11 months, but, um, I think it was, it was worth the wait. Yeah. I was, I was just about to ask, um, it seems like you mentioned there were other industries you were interested in. Interested in what? What in particular appealed about rental? Well, uh, you know, I think that uh, for one, um, rental is a highly fragmented industry. Um, it's still very founder-owned. Um, there hasn't been that transition yet. Uh, everyone seems to be doing business because that's how they've always done it. You know, the decisions that they make. There's been little change or evolution within the industry. I thought that was interesting. I'm also, I'm an analytical, very analytical person. And when I would walk into a warehouse in the event rental space, it just got me excited. Every skew, every you know department flow and productivity metric was data that you could analyze. Um, and I thought it was just very fascinating. As you know, when I first was introduced to the event rental industry, I thought, oh, that's just such a simple, you're renting a chair, uh, you know, it's a few rentals and you pay it back and it's as simple as that. Um, but as I scratched the surface and got a little deeper, I realized it's actually an incredibly, incredibly complex industry. And, you know, I think in some ways, I don't think the industry always has the best rap with uh, customers because, you know, service could be better. But I think a lot of people don't understand just how difficult it is what we do. Um, and so... You know, I was very excited with the opportunity to just get involved in the industry and learn more and then try and find a better way to do things. Was there anything in particular that caused you to decide on Peerless rather than or some of the other rental companies that you had seen or any of the other rental or any of the other companies, to be honest? Peerless had a lot of great things going for it. Um, the founders had built a great platform. It was so in the history of Peerless was 15 years ago. It was started. I believe that would be back in uh, 2005, 2006. And, uh, it was the only operation in Texas with four locations uh, in the four major cities. So it was in Dallas, Austin, Houston, San Antonio, which, you know, operators would know that it takes a significant capital outlay to open up a beachfront location, um, to start a new one, you're investing in inventory and it's going to sit for a little while before you gain recognition in that market. So they had built a great foundation. Um, in a market that was white hot and still remains to be white hot. I mean, Texas is growing like crazy. Um, you know, typically in our industry, you're just competing with your regional competition and you're just trying to steal, steal market share from whoever is down the street from you. Um, in Texas, that's not so much the case. Um, there's tons of new events moving in every month. It, this is just, it was an exciting area, a unique platform. Um, you know, text in peerless had the scale that we could really do something with. When I acquired it, it was over a hundred thousand square feet of warehouse space that we could, we could build on. Uh, and it was a great team, uh, over a hundred people, some great talented individuals. And, um, so it really just, it was, it, it had everything that I was looking for where I thought I could maybe put my skills to work just to help, uh, clean things up a little bit and get it moving a little smoother and professionalize the business. Awesome. Okay, on your LinkedIn, it lists you as part of YPO, which describes itself as the global leadership community of extraordinary chief executives, and its logo is a triangle full of smaller triangles. 
are you part of the Illuminati? If you can't give me a direct answer to that question, you can just explain why you're a part of YVO and what that means to you. Did I just blink twice? Uh, is that is that the, the better response? Um, definitely not part of the Illuminati. Okay. You know, at the end of the day, it's it, it's in our industry. There's uh, you know, I know bad groups are very popular, um, and I would say YPO is is like a bad group that's just not industry specific. It's a great resource for me uh, in Texas. That uh, you know, I'm, I have a cohort of uh, other business owners that. We meet with on a monthly basis and just express our frustrations and triumphs and uh it's almost like a therapy uh you know therapeutic session so um i've been involved with ypo for almost a year now and uh it's just it's a great community and a, and a great resource hey everyone are you ready to laugh it's time for jonathan's jokes let's give him a hand All right, dear uh, Point of Rental friends, I come with you with some jokes today. Okay, here's another favorite of mine. Apparently, I have a bunch of favorites, but... What do you call a train carrying bubblegum? A choo-choo train. We've talked about a fair amount about Peerless, but we're going to talk more about Peerless now. Okay, you've done it. You've bought Peerless. You've achieved your goal of acquiring a mid-sized business. What is the first thing that you do? Um, all right. After buying Peerless, the first thing that I do is, uh, I, is attempt to learn uh, the industry. <laughs> you know, it took me a year before I felt comfortable making any significant changes to the business. Um, it's just that complicated of a business. So, you know, I'm instantly in the driver's seat responsible for making payroll, you know, every single week, making sure we're collecting from our customers, making sure that our sales are staying on, you know, in between the rails. It was a lot to take on. Um, thankfully, with the transaction, I partnered with one of the founders who has been an incredible partner and still very involved in the business today. Uh, and, and he and I have really, uh, you know, I think built the business from where it was at a few years ago. Um, but without him, it would have been much, much more challenging. Um, so it took a while before I felt that we could really make some changes probably until early 2020 was when we were you know, in the right position and really ready to, um, uh, to scale the business. So that is an interesting time, obviously not just for you, but for everyone. So about a year after you acquire Peerless, everything's going great. You got a great business centered on events and then COVID happens and events largely disappear, at least for a while. How are you feeling about uh, your decision to get into this industry, especially events at that time, like when, when COVID first hits? And what's your process for developing a response? You know, I, there was a lot. Of, it was a lot of frustrating days. Um, you know, we tried to diligence the industry as best we could before going into the deal, uh, and you just couldn't predict a pandemic. That was not on my radar. Uh, I had not been reading epidemiology surveys and the risk of the U.S. prior to that, so um, really taken by surprise. Uh, you know, I think that we um, were very fortunate looking back. Uh, you know, our response to COVID, we we did do uh, a round of layoffs. It was March 17th of 2020. Uh, it was the worst day of my professional career. 
And I'm very thankful that we only did it one time throughout COVID. And then we took the group that uh, was remaining and we went out and we hit the streets and tried to find anything that we could do with our inventory. Uh, we were giving tents away um, just to try and prove concept in the market that there was a need for them, whether it was for restaurants or whether it was for line queuing out in front of department stores. Uh, and there were a lot of whiffs that we made in those few months, but we ended up landing on, um, on hospitals, um, on testing sites before, before testing was even possible. It was just intake, you know, just patient intake. Um, so I'm very fortunate that, uh, you know, we were able to pivot and help held on to the labor that we did, um, ended up finding some success there. It wasn't, you know, 2020 wasn't a great year, but it was a great year for us because while keeping busy doing that, we went to work totally overhauling our operation, uh, how we do things day to day, how our warehouses are structured. Um, and we really became a values-based operation in that time period, uh, which is the thing I'm most excited about with the business today and the direction we're going, the values that we put in place and the alignment that we've gained around the mission, vision, and values that we've created. So we made it through to the other side. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Um, at least in Texas, events are coming back um, and we're busier than we've ever been. Okay, this is a question that I had because... I saw obviously a lot of articles about how people are making the pivot, but I haven't really seen any stories about how you handle the things as other things come back. So like you have these long-term rentals that are out with hospitals or whatever. Are there awkward conversations about like, uh, we would like those tents back because now we have some events that we can make some more money off of? Um, or how, how are you handling that? It's so tough. It's so tough. And then add on to that the supply chain issues that we have. We can't just go out and buy more inventory right now. It's been a delicate conversation. Um, you know, I would say fortunately for us, uh, with the four locations, we move inventory constantly. So we are, you know, in many instances, we're able to figure it out. Um, you know, it's swapping out a tent uh, for, you know, of one size for a different size or different type and moving it from San Antonio to Houston uh, to get it up for a client. You know, there's been a lot that's going on behind the scenes to make sure that we provide the best customer service possible. Um, but we've been able to get it done, and, and, and I think relatively well, but it, it's a challenge for everyone in our industry right now. You mentioned the change to more of a values-based, and you mentioned a mission, and did you want to get further into what the mission is and how it's impacted your day-to-day -day at Peerless? I know this is off the uh, script, so I'll give you a couple yeah. of seconds to think um, about a few others. I, I did not realize going in, you know, when I came from the finance world, I did not realize the importance of values within an organization. And only after putting ours in place did I realize that that literally I mean, it gave the playbook of you know, to managers how we make decisions, how we treat each other. So it was very important for us. Now, you know, that might not be the case for other organizations, but for us and where we were at that point in time, it was, a, you know, I think uh, single-handedly the most important thing that we've done so far. And, you know, the mission in general is, uh, you know, I, and, and I, could, I could spout off exactly what it is, but generally speaking, it's, it's helping you know, Texans celebrate the most important moments of their lives, right? And, and this is the thing that's getting our people out of bed every morning, excited to, uh, you know, go to work, excited to you know, play out that mission. So you know, giving people purpose uh, is all that, you know, is everything that we're trying to do. 
Um, and that's what, you know, what the values and the mission really hits on. Yeah, it's definitely important to, you just have something to kind of rally around really is, like, yeah. hey, this is something we can all agree on. Um, exactly. you, you've, you've suggested a couple of things that might answer this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What was the most interesting thing you learned about the rental business as one of the few people that I've talked to that doesn't have those longstanding industry ties? Because most people I've talked to, they grew up in the industry, their parents owned a business, but you're coming from a different industry. What's one of the most interesting things you learned about rental? Boy, that's a good question. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things that I've learned about with rentals. Um, I would say uh, one interesting thing about the industry is that the it's interesting to me how resourceful the owners are and that culture of just uh, you know hustling to make sure that we get the job or that you provide the job, figuring out the inventory in the back end, and then resourceful in saving the inventory and, and repurposing it. Rental operators never throw anything away. And it's funny see, you know, seeing the finance community try and understand rental and understand, well, what's the maintenance capex? What's the growth capex? How do we get comfortable with the capital intensity of the business? And for a rental operator, it's just, you know, what do you mean? Like I, I just, I'm in, investing in growth and nothing ever gets destroyed or uh, you know, gets thrown away ever. Um, so that's very fascinating uh, to me. I think that there's sometimes it can be saving things to a flaw. Uh, I think it can, it can you know, hinder uh, or complicate operations, but in other times I'm just, I'm amazed at how resourceful our industry is at repurposing things. Yeah, the, the, the yeah if, we're, if we're doing buzzwords, we're, we like to call it sustainable. We're, sustain, we, we're very into reuse. It's so sustainable. You know, it, it just goes yeah. from being it's a table to now it's a rustic table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you pay for that. So uh, I, I think it's, yeah, it, it's just fascinates me how this industry operates. I think, I think there's probably uh, lots of things that other uh, industries and operators could, could learn from the great operators we have in our industry. Okay, what's the most in the trenches thing you've done at Peerless? Have you gone out and like driven stakes into the ground? Have you been out there washing canvases or do you, do you tend to be a, an office leader? Uh, you know, I think that uh, I can always do a better job of getting out in the field more. Um, I'd like to say that I have earned my stripes. So in the last three years that I'm allowed to have a few days sitting behind the computer, you know, I think I, I've definitely driven stri uh, dri driven stakes. Um, I've helped suspend tent tops after you know, getting washed. Um, I've tried to work in most roles within the business. Uh, I think that the most in the weeds crazy uh, instance though was probably within four months of closing Peerless, um, we had an event, we had a new manager in San Antonio and at a festival event we were doing that just totally went off the rails. And um, we were supposed to be done by like five o'clock and it's like three in the morning and we're like barely halfway done. So, you know, basically being up with the team until sunrise, working through the night, trying to fill water barrels and uh, move tables uh, through the streets. And it was, it was a lot. Um, I'm thankful that, very, very thankful we've improved our operations significantly since then. Um, but there was certainly some firefighting we had to do uh, early on. Do you have anything upcoming at Peerless that you think people should know about? Are you guys doing anything like that you just want the news to get out there? That's just really cool. Boy, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. There's a lot of great things that we're doing at 
Peerless, there's a okay. lot of great people we're adding to the team. There's uh, a lot of things that we're excited about, um, but nothing that we're re yet, you know, yet ready to go to market with. I think there's some exciting things to come. And if you're in the Texas market, you know, I think you'll be seeing a lot more of us in, you know, in the next year. Um, just excited with the opportunity that we have. All right. Well, I am in the Texas market, so I'll, I'll look forward to seeing that. You'll be seeing okay. our talks. All right, let's get into the personality questions. What is the most important trait or ability for a leader to have? Uh, I, I believe that the most important trait is communication. I think being able to communicate clearly uh, to your team. And, and I think with communication comes both spoken, uh, you know, speaking and, and listening. Uh, being able to be an active listener, which at times I need to do a better job of, job of but you know, with listening comes you know, understanding um, kind of reading the room, reading the situation, reading the person, um, and then communicating and reinforcing, you know, maybe whatever it is that is trying to be achieved. So um, I think without communication, it'd be incredibly difficult to be a strong leader. All right. It seems to be a popular, uh, popular choice for most important trait. Okay. Okay. What kind of kid were you in high school? Did you play any sports or musical instruments? Did you sing? What were you doing in your free time growing up? Uh, yeah, that's um, it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, I would describe myself in high school as uh, very, very average. You know, I, I played sports. I wasn't great at them. Um, I was about a B student. I hadn't quite figured out what what motivated me yet, or what you know where I wanted to take my life. I uh, I would I played the instruments. I was I played the drums. Uh, it was probably the thing I was most focused or dedicated on. I was in a number of bands and um, have played some fun performances over the years. And, you know, and then a little later in life, uh, I got very involved in sailing, um, which was how I spent um, some free time. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, probably memories that I look back on most fondly would be uh, uh, sailing around uh, many, you know, several parts of the, of the world, sailing around the Mediterranean, where I was actually a, a um, professional charter skipper. So think like below deck style, you've got a hostess, you know, I'm the skipper of the boat. Um, we've got a crew of, uh, you know, our 10 passengers. We're going out for a week around the islands in Croatia or British Virgin Islands. Um, it was, it was fun. It was a great way to make money in the summers. And did you get the hat? What's that? Did you get the hat? What's the hat? Just the like little skipper hat with the little like wheel on the front. I, I, I did not like get that hat, but I have like the cool straw, you know, the, just the, the, you know, the sun bum straw hat that you'd have to wear. I mean, the sun was brutal spending it a week out on the water. So anything oh, to yeah. stay in the shade. Okay. Darn, I was, I was hoping that you had like the, the sea commander hat. I'm, I'm picturing the, the sea captain on the Simpsons and you just have that hat and then you have to bring it into your CEO job. Be like, look, I'm the skipper here, guys. See, I'm picturing, you know. like, I'm picturing like Gilligan's Island. And maybe Gilligan with the bucket hat, and and I don't look okay. in bucket hats. I I can confirm that. Okay. <laughs> so when you're not working, what are you doing now? Um, you know now, uh, God, I really enjoy my free time. You know, I need to just decompress. So um, I like mountain biking. Austin's got some awesome trails uh, that I can go. Uh, I've got two dogs. Uh, so I'm walking walking the dogs regularly. Um, I enjoy reading. 
Um, you know, I'll read every bit of news I can get my hands on. I love business memoirs and uh, you know, self-improvement type uh, uh, initiatives. So I feel like I'm constantly focusing on those things and um, just anything to take my time off work uh, when I can. Okay. Um, this is a surprise question that is bringing on you. Uh, top three books that you recommend that someone read right now. If you don't have them, we can just skip it. But. Uh, let me, you know, I can start rattling off a few. Um, let me look at my, you know, the, the first one that just comes to mind, I think every operator should read is Good to Great by Jim Collins. I mean, so much of everything that we put in place and our initiatives and, um, you know, and, and consultants that we bring in to work with, they all quote and you know, build off of Jim Collins. Um, so any of his books are really, really good. Um, there's another book, which is Everybody Matters uh, by a guy named Bob Chapman. Um, it's all about building a values-based uh, organization. And uh, let's see, what else? Um, one that I actually had all my managers read a couple of years ago called It's Your Ship, uh, which is a really cool book about a, a Navy captain who took, the, took over a, uh, a boat that had really poor marks and was able to turn it around uh, in a matter of months. And, it's just a great story, really entertaining read, and I think something there's a lot of business takeaways with it. I think you're the first student body president I've known. <laughs> How do you decide which that you want to run for student body president, and what's your platform on that? Okay, good, good question. Um, you know, I, I ran when I was a sophomore in college, and I I realized that I wanted to do it because I saw an opportunity. I I thought that the others other groups that were forming weren't all that impressive. So you know, I just thought I could do better. Um, and it's a great opportunity to get adult-like responsibilities while still being a kid and kind of getting the safety. You know, if you run the organization off the cliff, it's really not that big of a deal. You're still in college. So um, it seemed like high upside, very little downside. And that's kind of how I've always thought in life. Um, I got to uh, present to the board of trustees. I got uh, to get to know all these different um, aspects of campus life and how a university runs, sitting in on you know, faculty meetings. And um, it was a very fascinating year. Um, my camp campaign was, you, you, it's kind of, I mean, it was very political. You know, it's, a, it's, it's funny looking back, um, you campaign just like if you were running a, you know, for office, um, you pick initiatives that resonate with the student population um, and the voters. So um, my big initiative, I mean, obviously aside from getting more seats at Assembly Hall for basketball games. Uh, that was an easy one uh, to push, not as easy to achieve, but um, renovating our student rec center was a big one. Uh, it, you know, helping improve that student life and student community in a facility that was aging um, and needed some serious renovations. So, um, you know, we ended up pushing for, I think it was about a $55 million renovation project uh, over the course of the year and planning for all that, which was really neat. Always pushing to get more capital investment. <laughs> it's all about the money. You just got to raise money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When we're setting this up, you mentioned that you were concerned about maybe oversharing the cool things y'all are doing. I don't want you to go that far. I don't want you to overshare, but maybe you want to tell people one cool thing that you're doing. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to share. I'm always happy to share. Uh, I don't want to overshare for you know, several reasons. One, um, yeah, they haven't totally come to fruition yet. We haven't actually seen uh, if they work. And the other, you know, if they don't work, I don't want to leave my peers off a cliff here um, with what we're doing. 
It is so, good to make sure something works before you say that, hey, exactly. this is great. I, I, I'm still, you know, I'm still newer in this role. I mean, I think probably, I mean, I'm in my third year, but given, you know, I think the experience of many in our industry, I, I'm still a rookie and still very new to it. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that there's a lot that I could share that's, um, that would uh, uh, significantly impact how others might run their business. But we did talk about the importance of values. Um, you know, at the end of the day, our business is about the people, it, you know, the, the inventory, the items, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the same as what everyone else has, um, but it's about the people. And so for us, you know, focusing and leaning in on our values uh, has been extremely important. Okay. The other thing that really stands out to me that you mentioned in your LinkedIn is an association with the Indiana University Dance Marathon. Now, this is, it's obviously stands out because you don't see a dance marathon too often on someone's LinkedIn. Were you dancing in this marathon? Are you a dancer? If so, what styles are your favorite? And how did you get into that? <laughs> or was this just a fundraising thing? Um, I didn't know that was still on my LinkedIn. I need to go uh, probably edit that. Uh, no, that was just, that was probably, I think it was a couple of years in college. Uh, my fraternity was very involved in it. And I think as a freshman, they made us all participate in it, which was maybe a form of pledgeship uh, and hazing. Um, but uh, we were raising money uh, was for the, uh, the Indianapolis um, Children's, the Indianapolis Children's Hospital. And uh, it was a great organization. We raised over a million dollars. Uh, and the event was all the dancers had to stay up for 36 hours from Friday afternoon through Sunday morning and stand. You had to stay up and stand the entire time. And it was still probably one of the most painful things. I mean, your legs after standing for 36 hours uh, were just so swollen. It was, it was a pretty rough uh, pretty rough experience. Yeah, we're, we're getting ready for the ARA show and I'm remembering just standing for 12 plus hours a day and yeah, 36 hours, I, I don't want to sign up for that. Well, there's was there no a particular dance style that you went for or was it just standing? Um, so my dance style, I would say is very much freestyle. Uh, I'm very proud that I never had one lesson. Um, right. And uh, typically it takes a few beers to really get me going, but uh, yeah, I'm not afraid to get out on the dance floor. All right. All right, let's move on to the five important questions. Five important questions. Five important, five important questions. questions. Five important questions. Uh, what would you say is your greatest success in life? Uh, my greatest success was uh, closing the Peerless deal. Uh, it was two and a half years of work. It's it's amazing doing something that you, know, you work every day towards. That's all towards one binary outcome. That's several years away. You know, it's it's you either buy a business or you don't. You run out of capital. Um, and so it was a tremendous amount of work. Uh, it was a long, um, sometimes very frustrating process. I think for everyone involved and at the end of the day, very, very rewarding. Um, I learned a ton about myself through that experience and what I, you know, what I believe I, I was capable of. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I look back on that experience very fondly, um, you know, with everything that, you know, all the decisions that were made and, and, uh, you know, what happened over those two and a half years, it, it was a, a good outcome. I'm very, very proud of it. Yeah, I can only imagine after two and a half years. After two and a half years, how do you celebrate like finally getting to where you had been working for for every day for two and a half years? Yeah, it was funny. I um I had just I you know, so I had I was searching out of Chicago and I had packed a suitcase 
and moved down to Austin to try and get this deal done. And so for three months, I lived in Airbnbs in Austin trying to get the deal done. Uh, I finally closed the deal. Uh, I had a buddy in Dallas at the time. I lived in Dallas at the time and uh, uh, just happened to be heading up to Dallas for our company Christmas event the next day. And uh, so it was, you know, we had a few glasses of whiskey and cheers and, uh, you know, celebrated uh, that night. And then immediately the next morning, is Matt, my, my uh, business partner, uh, drops like a stack of contracts and paper on the desk and says, all right, let's, let's get to work. And um, so it was very short-lived, um, but uh, uh, there was a small celebration. Okay, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice when you started your career, what would it be? The piece of advice would be that, you know, I am capable of more than I think I am. Uh, you know, and I look back on, you know, my investment banking days just as a young 20-something right out of college. Like I was, there were days I went into the office, I'd just be terrified of like a mistake that I made in the pitch book and it's going to screw up the whole meeting. And, you know, and that went on for a number of years. You're just so scared of making mistakes. You're not truly, I, I never truly understood just how capable I am. Uh, and, and I think that I would probably tell, you know, that younger me to begin my career just to relax, take a deep breath, you know, learn from the experience, enjoy the moment, uh, and, you know, everything's going to be okay. What is the most embarrassing moment in your career? You know, I don't know that I have a great answer for that. Uh, I think that there, there were many meetings, you know, looking back in the finance world, there were many meetings that I slept through um, because I had pulled all-nighters, probably wasn't the best to put in a client situation. Um, you know, there, there'd be things I wish I could go back and redo, but uh, nothing, you know, nothing really comes to mind as one singular moment. I think just being an investment banking analyst is, uh, it's an embarrassing two years. Honestly, honestly, I wouldn't do it again. Okay. Well, that's really, that question is really just a setup for the next one anyway, but you've been sentenced to death because it's now illegal to have slept in meetings and it's capital offense. So what is your last meal and why? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, in, in, in thinking through it, I've had some awesome meals, uh, you know, in my lifetime and, you know, sailing around the Mediterranean. I've got, you know, I've, I've had some really, really unique experiences and really interesting cuisines that I would love to go back and have again. But honestly, a couple hours ago, I drove down to this food truck down the street from me uh, and had some Alpistor tacos that were just out of this world. And, um, Right now, as we're sitting and talking through this, I kind of wish I would have bought one or two more of those tacos. So uh, I, I think I would just, I would say, you know, go back and grab a few more of those and, and let's do it. Wow. So your answer would have been different just like a day ago if we had done this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? You know, I think that I've always been someone who's very goal-oriented and I will, I will work my tail off to, to you know, get to that next level to achieve that goal. Um, but I think to a flaw, I never stop, pause, you know, recognize what I just accomplished and enjoy the moment. I'm always off to the next. And, uh, you know, I think that I'd love to, I'm trying to change about myself that, um, you know, I, I slow down, uh, enjoy the ride, enjoy the experience um, and recognize everything that, that's been accomplished. All right. Well, hopefully, I hope this interview helped you with that one a little bit. You at least got a little time to look back on things. No, it's been a fun, a fun, reflective experience. I, I we, Let's do this every week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you could change one thing about the rental industry, what would it be? Pricing. 
uh, you know, I, we got to charge more. Uh, this is this is an industry that uh, you know I think there are many that just haven't changed their pricing in years. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I I look back over the last ten years, you know, our labor cost has only gone up. Our cost to buy materials has gone up. Uh, our insurance expense, auto um, benefits, our rent, and the rent in the Texas market has gone up. Everything's going up, and yet the prices don't change. And it's just it, it's maddening. Um, you can provide the best service in the market, uh, but there's still just a certain band that you're allowed to charge based on you know how others in the in the in the market are operating and. I think that this is our one chance right now with the supply chain shortages and the labor shortages to change that, uh, to increase the pricing, um, to you know raise the bar, and uh, and that's the thing that I would change. Uh, you know, we are now uh, this is so this is a, a call to arms for the industry. Uh, everyone listening, <laughs> no, we're we're charging right. damage waiver. Uh, we're charging a production fee. Uh, or raising our delivery fees. These are easy things that rental operators can do to, to generate profit. It drops right to the bottom line, but it really covers the fixed costs and the variable costs that we are incurring or we're about to incur because of the rental items that we're purchasing are probably not going down in price. Um, and the supply chain shortages that we're seeing are probably not getting fixed anytime soon. So that'd be the thing that I would change and, and I would change it now. I mean, now's the right time. It reminds me of the, uh, what's that proverb? Like the best time to plant a tree is like 10 years ago and the second best time is now or something like that. I've never heard that, but I, I but if it's a proverb, I, I like it. <laughs> well, it's, it's like a bad version of it. So don't like quote me on that, but yeah. <laughs> All right. What is your spirit spice? Uh, that was a tough one. I, you really had me, I was going through the spice drawer. Uh, it, it's like, a, yeah, it's like your spirit animal. What, what spice do you identify with? What, what do you have? And you say, you know, I think a very versatile spice is jalapeno. Uh, technically, you know, it's 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 a I don't know, is it a vegetable? It's a pepper. Um, but uh, you 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 know, you dehydrate it, you grind it up, and there you got a spice. Um, it's very versatile. I think it works in. Uh, a, you could put it with a number of different alcohols in liquor uh, or with food. Um, and I think I can be pretty versatile. You know, I came from. Um, you know, a small town, very blue collar family, uh, worked in the finance world for a number of years, uh, working in the rental industry. Um, I think I, you can put me in a number of different situations and hopefully I mix well. I, I, I don't know. My, maybe some would argue otherwise, but. We, we can even put you on a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean and you'll still know what to do. There you go. Exactly. That's my, my favorite place. All right. Okay, that was that was my last question. So we're we stuck it pretty close to an hour. So okay. uh, good job, despite our uh, technical difficulties. So thanks for joining me today. No, this, oh, is, this has been fun. Uh, I, good. you know, I, I think when you originally reached out, I thought, ah, hold on, what, what's going on here? What, what am I, what am I carving out the calendar for? And, you know, then getting to know you a little more, and uh, you know, I, I think this is an exciting opportunity, and uh, it was it was fun to chat. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to seeing you around industry events.